Listen, I just wanted to see you guys and meet the baby and all. I ain't going over to see Mom and Pop. What are you talking about? Frankie. Wait a minute, you come up, Valentine. What are you saying? Goodbye? Let's just call it to you later. This movie is about you, the podcast that suggests that you really don't know anybody till they uh, tell you their favorite movie or one of their movies that they like, and they pair it with another one. Uh, that's the premise of the show. We're recording it at uh, La Rev Restaurant at 2848 Dundas Street West in Toronto, uh, and we're going to introduce you to our guest in just a few moments. And two films that you once view. Challenges to they get you through. Pay for what you get to do. This movie's about you. My name is Tom Ernst, and uh, we do this uh, once a week, and we put it up on the air for you to hear. And we talk to some really interesting people about their favorite double bill. And uh, that's Indira, uh, owner of the restaurant uh, that uh, we record in, the Rev Restaurant. Restaurant, by the way. Great mar- margaritas. Uh, I try to have one at least uh, once a month. I think it's healthy for you. And uh, also, she is the singer of that song, which is written by my good friend and my co-host, Mr. Louis Maroney. Louis. Hey, Tom. Uh, thank you very much. You're welcome. So, uh, Tom. Yes. We all kind of uh, write and act our own lives, right? You and I do. Yeah. yeah. We dress a certain way, say things in a certain way. That's a wide brush I'm painting with, but even the most genuine person must make some kind of choice about who they are, or there would be no self-reflection at all, which is what makes us human. So in considering our next guest, it struck me how he is able to write other lives in so many ways. He is an actor, screenwriter, director, musician, and novelist. And I'm not just saying he's written one book and has had a few acting gigs. He is stunningly prolific and good. He's really good. And he has created a vast number of rich characters as a writer for television and film, characters he's often had the opportunity to portray, most recently as Little Dog in the CBC television show of the same name. Then jump to the expression of the human condition through literature, four novels, one of which won the Governor General's Literary Award last year, and through music with his newly released solo album, Dead Man's Melody. I can only guess that he has a very pure vision of what he wants to express to be able to translate it across so many mediums, which then makes me wonder if he writes and acts his own life with that same vision. In any case, I'm sure his contribution to this episode of This Movie's About You will add a layer of that vision to what we create here. So with no further ado, I'd like to welcome Joel Thomas Hines to the show. Okay, thank you very much. Welcome, Joel. <laughs> Pretty good, thank you. I, I was reminding you, or maybe telling you, because maybe you didn't remember, that we met in Sudbury mm-hmm. uh, at one point, and I heard you perform. I, and as as Lewis said, I think so eloquently, uh, you w- were able to express yourself so wonderfully in that film. And of course, I've seen you on television uh, doing stuff. And then, uh, and I read your book, uh, 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 Down Down to Dirt, right? Sorry, I always get that. I always say Down to Earth. It's Down to Dirt. And uh, and knew you could express yourself that way, but then you got up and played the guitar and uh, sang for us, uh, a small group, and it was uh, brilliant. And I'm thrilled to have you here right now. Oh, 
thanks thanks for having me i, I love coming to the west end man yeah well when the west did you live in the east end toronto uh you know toronto kind of presents itself to the rest of the country anyways as uh the vibe on queen west and young street and stuff. so when you're from outside you sort of gravitate towards the west end so over years coming back and forth to toronto i i was always coming over around little italy little portugal and those sorts of places trinity bellwoods and staying and i could never get could never get comfortable i was always fighting with somebody and uh i i just felt the pace i couldn't ad adjust to the pace because i'm small town right i mean i love big cities and i love frenetic energy but i for living i think i prefer a predictable environment so is that where uh you know money east and down down the beaches it's like deserted at nine o'clock in the night all right so like yeah. you know it, it's true i mean it, but the east end has another particular vibe I, when you talk about the beaches i mean that's not the most small town vibe it might be deserted but there's something about the beaches that's more i don't know martha's vineyard than east coast <laughs> well i don't have all that many friends down there i'm not okay. saying that <laughs> i do I, I got a good routine when i'm in town uh i got a little dog i'm i'm a minute from the beach so 12 o'clock in the night, I'm down on the beach and I feel like I own so much, you know, space and room and uh, I do a lot of thinking and talking out loud and creative work down around there. And uh, the, the kids, uh, I know you have, uh, have uh, at least a son who's performed in, in your films. Do they live out in the East Coast still or are they moved into? Uh, my son is on the East End. I moved him up here in uh, the fall of 2013 with his mama, who's had her foot in Toronto for a number of years. She works out of here. We're all Newfoundlanders, but we're all in in the East End of Toronto now. Uh, I live just down the road from them, so we're quite involved um, as a family unit, but an unconventional one. We all work together. Myself yeah. and his mama uh, are co-creators of the uh, CBC show Little Dog. Well, yeah. I'm the creator; she's the showrunner, which makes her the creative boss. You know, so we got a good thing. I was talking to somebody about it the other day about uh, failed relationships and that uh, I'm on the other side of a quite an intense failure of a relationship that that is a genuine failure and then you know but I was looking at that one and thinking well we managed to evolve past the romantic inclinations and we we had we tried the little family under all, all under the one roof sort of thing we went through the hard part and we evolved and then we we maintained our friendship and uh, became really really great creative partners so i sort of look at that relationship as probably the most successful one in my life after i moved out yeah but i, you know, I hear those things again, uh, again and again that uh, that things work out uh, sometimes when when you're together the conflict is too intense and then you separate yeah. um and then we just want, do you we think just that wanted you, to do uh, it for him, like so that he could have a decent childhood and see his see his parents at their I think that's you know quite noble, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Do you think from the beginning you uh should have been the kind of partners you are now or or there needed to be that evolution from I I don't know. I I couldn't have been. You know, I wasn't I wasn't who I am now. I didn't have the I wasn't uh, very mature. I was uh I was uh, my ambitions were a little different. My ego was all messed up. Uh, I wasn't uh, very healthy emotionally. Mm -hmm. you know? Do you think you have so it all figured it out now? You, 
I don't have it all figured out, but I have. I, I'm a lot better stuff. than I was. I yeah. tell you that. I'm, well, you're, you're also putting a lot on yourself. I mean, uh, there's there's two people in this relationship. Yeah, right? I know. Yeah. Oh, you knew that? Oh, okay. Sorry, <laughs> I, thought I, I thought that was a revolution fingers. for you. Uh, listen, let's talk about the movie that you picked and the clip that you uh, heard. Uh, the, Lewis, can you tell us why you picked that particular clip? Uh, well, so the movie's The Indian Runner. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I found, and I haven't seen the whole film. Oh, you but, haven't? No, I haven't. Oh. But I've I've watched a lot of different parts of it. Yeah. And uh, this what is... What do you think? I, you know, Beautiful. I, I... Yeah, I never knew about it. Yeah. And um, it's Not really... a lot of people do. Yeah, and it's got a real... Um, raw feeling from what i could tell mm -hmm. and there's i think it was all done on 35 mil oh cool with all the old filters right like yeah. godfather filters yeah uh, but it was shot in 94 it was made to look like the time it's set in yeah right so the and the the scene itself is the brothers come back from the military uh and he's uh telling his brother he's not going to go visit his the parents and the brother's like what, what are you talking about he's like i'm not here to see them i'm gonna i'm just gonna see you i'll, I'll see you later yeah this is a this is a sean penn project uh, yeah, and uh, it's interesting because I do think it's one of his first ventures into film. It's his directorial debut. It, yeah, and and uh, and he uh, adapted it, right? And that's a that's a pretty uh, that's a pretty you know heavy. He was sort of, I don't know. Do you think there's similarities between you and Sean Penn in, in ways? Uh, has a comparison been made I, before? Yes, I have had that comparison. Who do you think's had more fights? Uh, he has for sure. Yeah, and like you know, money, but. Uh, I chose those. Well, first of all, The Indian Runner pops into my head as one of my favorite movies for all those uh, familial themes that run through it, you know. And um, I totally get the longing and the yearning for family unit and roots. So I've been fairly uprooted and uh, I have uh, struggled with family my whole life. And I, want, I, still, I still want something conventional, I have to admit. But... I just loved that. There's so much to love about that movie, but I also selected it because it's based on a song. It's based on Springsteen's song, Highway Patrolman, from the album Nebraska. I was going to collect a, a, select as the double header um, uh, Nebraska, the song yeah, Nebraska, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is based on the story that the movie Badlands is based on. So I was going to select Badlands, both based on Springsteen songs. And uh, because in my uh, creative life, I like to see uh, where, uh, just how much milk I can get out of one story. Mm -hmm. If I can put it on stage or on screen, in a book, in a song, uh, in a performance, I don't care. And so I sort of selected, but I, I, I chose the hurricane, which yeah. is, which you can say, say what you like. I don't think that movie ever would have been made if Dylan hadn't written the song. Right. Dylan, yeah. Dylan, his song, The Hurricane, really brought that story to world consciousness, right? And incited a lot of people's anger and fury and rage. And Do the different mediums like song versus book versus movie, do they always reveal a different aspect of the story? Or is it just get it out there as many different ways as you can? Um, well, there are benefits and limitations to whatever medium you want to go into. And I always say, you know, if you want to burn the house down in your book, you just light the match and toss it and burn the house down. If you want to do that on screen, 
you need a lot of safety personnel. You need all these permits. You need an extra $200,000 on your budget and, you know, all kinds of extra, extra stunt team is too expensive. So generally what you do is you stand over here and, and you watch the fire reflect in someone's eyes. Right. But no, you're limit. You're, you're always limited by budget. Uh, in, uh, and if you want to burn screen. the house down in a song, Oh, well, you can burn the house down in a song. Yeah. 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 I guess you're just limited by the rhythm. Well, putting something, it's, it's expensive to put things on camera. You yeah. Know? It's expensive to put things on stage. I'm always impressed. I, I, last year, again, I read uh, Sarah Kane's collection uh, of plays called Crave. Her big play is called Crave. She's dead. She committed suicide. She was a real intense dark horse. Her playwriting she would say, and suddenly a giant sunflower rises up through the stage, blossoms, withers, and dies, right? And so a director gets his, gets his hands on that years later after she's dead, and they say, well, we gotta honor her vision, and they, they have to find a way to make that happen. Whereas a lot of people are, which is a brave approach to screenwriting and uh, stage writing. And it's an old school approach because a lot of stage writing now even is influenced. What goes on the page or doesn't go on the page is influenced by how much money you have to execute it. Whereas with a book, no. Mm -hmm. uh, so but going to Indian Runner then, when you went to see that film, and how old were you when you saw that film? Do you remember? I've never actually seen the film. Yeah. Nice. I have. I have. Yeah, nice. Of course you have. Uh, I guess I was in my early 20s. Uh, All right. Yeah. So you were the person you were before. You were talking about you've changed. You, that, so that person you saw that in the 20s yeah. appreciated it on some level. That person that you are today can yeah. also appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. What, uh, do you, what do you think that that, uh, that uh, I find? Um, well, oddly enough, I identify with both brothers in that. Whereas traditionally, when I look for stories of brothers, I look for the 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 black and the white or the chalk and the cheese as myself and my brother. I have an I have a brother who's a year older who I have no emotional or social connection with at all or really personal connection with at all. I haven't had an adult conversation with him. I left home at 16, 17, and that was it. And things weren't great then, and they have never been afterwards. So when I, I'm attracted to stories of brothers, um, I always look for the commonality. Whereas in The Indian Runner, I connected with both. I saw versions of, of like, uh, David Morse's character would have been, you know, how I would have loved my brother to be, to come to ask me to be family. You know, to ask me to have roots, to say, listen, the outside world is here. We, we're all we got. It's blood. And uh, that that's like my fantasy brother. And then Vigo, uh, not to say whatever happened to him, where he came from, uh, he was pretty messed up by the time we're introduced to him. But he was always a dark horse, you know. But I, I really connected with his sense of, he has this outrage that manifests and this this high, very heightened spiritual calling that he doesn't know what to do with. He can't communicate to the regular world and it manifests itself as deviance and violence, right? Which is what happened with me a lot when I was a kid. And uh, so I, I really connected with both of those characters. But, did, but where, where, did that, where did that separation come from? I mean, you... Uh, 
you and your brother were, grew up in the same house. At some point, there is a, a dividing thing that you, that maybe why did you feel you were acting out in some way, or did they sort of reject that kind of? Uh, of course, there was a bit of acting out at times, and like eventually, if you're told you're this and told and told and told, eventually, that, what were they that, telling you? Oh, you know the old things. Uh, there's nothing unique about my story. I mean, the details are unique, but there's nothing unique about my story. M what I was told was that. I was uh, wrong in the world. I was a, a liar, thief, bound for uh, incarceration, bound to do something. And eventually, no matter how hard I tried to go out into the world and, and be something, I would eventually be exposed for what I am. And what I am is what they, they told me I was. So, of course, you buy into that mythology, especially if you... You know, I was an artist. I didn't know that until I was, I don't know, 19 or 20, when I was sat down by my uncle and told, you're not all this, that's what you are, you need to find your voice. So I was an artist, not knowing it, and just thought I was messed up. Right. And I had no aspirations outside of what would have been considered uh, teenage fantasies. Do you, have, do you have a relationship with your uncle today? He died in 2015. Okay, until that point, then you. Were I able? had a I had a very intense, complex relationship with that man, and uh, uh, we loved each other dearly. But it was very complex. He's a he's a renowned, uh, beloved folk singer, Ron Hines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I he took me in under his wing when it, when I was in my late teens, and uh, insisted that I was a creator. And I said, okay. And he, he sort of validated me in the arts community in, in St. John's. And uh, I did, I was his roadie for a long time when I was really young and ended up writing with him and working with him a lot. I ended up working with him on camera a lot. And there's just a lot of crossover in the arts back in, in St. John's in Newfoundland. So Was he your dad's brother or your mom's brother? He's my brother? dad's brother. And he, he sort of, as complex as things got at times i mean you know the arts can be pretty flamboyant and wild and uh unpredictable and he uh he succumbed to uh, his addictions and but the years leading up to his death were fairly difficult because of those proclivities and um he sort of became my ideal dad despite right. all that so, no, I can so see. when i lost him i you know it was the closest i had i ever came to a breakdown i think i didn't really i've lost people you know i was with my grandfather when he died i've i've, I've lost a lot of people in recovery and addictions to overdoses and drunk driving and suicides and i've lost a lot of people but i've never I had not. I didn't think I was capable of experiencing grief until he died. But isn't there something really sort of uh, justified about that experiencing grief? I mean, it's like uh, I've never felt the kind of love I feel for my daughter before in my life. Absolutely, and, yeah. And there's something that sort of makes you feel like you're alive and validates all your feelings. Yeah. I well, when my son was still in the belly, I was very, very concerned that I wouldn't be able to love him. Uh, basically because I didn't feel lovable and didn't I had never pushed I had never had un anything unconditional before so I was 
really concerned that I'd taint him or something like that. But then, but then when he was so. born, when he was born, it was just so immediate. It was a major shift in my consciousness, and that sort of put me on the road to uh, fundamental change. I often think, you know, and I guess a lot of people think this that, uh, yeah, like having that boy. I was able to suddenly have access to aspects of my character that would have remained dormant my whole life without right. him. Right. You know, that's, a dog can't do it. A nephew can't do it. You know, it's not the same. And does your does your experience with his mother and the evolution of your relationship uh, to a point of it sounds like a, a good place? Uh, does does that experience give you a certain amount of hope with your own brother and your relationship with him? Uh, you know, no, I don't. Equ I don't. I, I don't equate the two. I uh, not to name names or anything, but I think a part of my emotional and 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 spiritual evolution has been um, discovering that there are certain people in my life that I don't love. And uh, that's been; those have been quite powerful revelations for me over the years. And there's a couple of people who, you know, you you feel like you're obligated to, and if you can't love them properly, then you're wrong. And then when you really sit back and look at it, you you think, oh, I don't have that love. That love wasn't earned. It was never there. It's not coming now. Uh, if anything, it might be a bit nostalgic. But one of the things that happened, like with say my brother. And so I realized I, d I didn't love him. And that's fine. He doesn't love me. Not that. And that shouldn't mean a lot. But anyways, when I had that revelation, I, I suddenly opened myself up to compassion and empathy and sympathy and tolerance and patience and even, even warmth towards him, which are all these things that add up to your idea of love anyways. Yeah. I mean, lo it's so yeah. strange. Mm -hmm. I mean, you say it shouldn't matter that, uh, that you don't feel love, but and yet you choose a movie that is the emphasis and and and, and focus on a scene where it's about brothers. So somehow it feels like it does matter on a level. I and so. I, I like the idea that you 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 understand that compassion needs to help me understand that being compassionate are forms, or at least the the on paper is love. But I never under quite understood. The idea of like concept of love, not to be. There's a great scene in the in the Indian Runner about love. Yeah, uh, Charles Bronson. Spoiler alert. Anyways, Charles Bronson calls up David Morse, and David Morse is the the right son, the good son, kind of. And Bronson, who plays his father, has been uh, at over to dinner that night with the young family. Three o'clock in the morning, he calls him up. And, and David Morse answers the phone and he says, uh, what's, uh, what's going on, Dad? It's 3 o'clock in the morning. And Bronson says, uh, I just wanted to tell you that there's a piece of molding on the floor uh, in the partition between the kitchen and the living room that's loose. I think you should get that fixed because someone's going to hurt themselves on that. And Dave Morse goes, uh, okay, Dad, good night. Charles Bronson gets off the phone and blows his head off. And is his way of saying, hey, I love you. If you really dig in, he, he didn't know how to say it. He's, yeah. he's of that generation. He's of that cut, 
he just needed to communicate something and he all he could come up with was something very mundane and it was his way of saying i love you goodbye so there's a lot about love there but you got to lean in and look for it yeah and and you're young enough though that these kind of things could have went right over your head uh but the artist in you perhaps saw it then or you look back now and see it i don't know which is which uh, i saw it like that that's that scene is so striking so dramatic um that uh you can't help but think about it. Right. Have you met Sean Penn? Um, very, very briefly. Yeah, not in the type of context that you might expect. I had a girlfriend in uh, Malibu, California. I used to go back and forth for years, and she's in with all that gang. Sean Penn lives just up the road, all that stuff. It's, you know, California, I go back, I love the place. I don't go down there looking for work. I go down there to drop out. It's a small town. Yeah. It's a very small town. Los Angeles. You can approach it. Like, I find, uh, Toronto, actually, the arts community in Toronto, much, much harder to penetrate than Los Angeles or New York. Right. But in Toronto or in Canada, you are the part of the arts community. I think in Toronto, I'm a Newfoundlander. Is that right? I, in, I mean, in Los Angeles, I'm a, I'm a successful foreign artist. <laughs> well, that's that's pretty good. I don't know about. I mean, certainly, but if you were identified as a Newfoundlander here, uh, part of the um, fascination of that is because of, we have a real. I think as you know, living in uh, the West End or, or uh, Central uh, Canada, we love the East. Like we have a real fascination. I mean, it, what we lack in culture is certainly made up for uh, in the East Coast. Yeah, there are, we, you know, we got lots of culture, no no question. But then uh, Upper Canada and Middle Canada and the prairies, and there's a lot of good culture, especially when you include indigenous people in your culture, which which is which is often overlooked, right? Mm -hmm. there's, there's very, very incredible, potent culture when you, when you take those people into account. Uh, but Glo globally unique. Yeah, yeah. Is that a term? Tom, we have to get to yeah. Oh, well, we have to get to the next clip. We're, you, we're, I know. I've been fascinated by the Indian runner and stuff. Yeah, yeah no, no, okay, I know. Let's do well, the next to, clip. Let's do the clip. next okay. clip. Whole point of the show. All right. Ruben, the law states we have to take our new evidence back to the original trial judge, and then if he turns us down, we go to the no. state appeals no, court. No, 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 no! Listen to me. These people aren't going to just let that happen. They've made their careers on my case. What are you talking I'm about? I'm talking about Ruben? lawyers, prosecutors, judges who have moved up the ladder on my block back. Okay. All right. There you go. Yeah, we got it through. That was uh, that was uh, from Hurricane, which we uh, talked about earlier. Now, Norman Jewison, which was a surprise, actually. I like Jewison as a as a director, and I think this is a pretty good one. Um, so, Hurricane, you kind of gave us an idea why you chose Hurricane uh, as as part of um, the Indian your Bell. I kind of gave you an indication. I thought you did. When well, you yeah, talked about I, music, the musicality I think of you it, can, yeah. I think you can directly accredit the Bob Dylan song yeah. for the, uh, for eventually for Reuben Carter's uh, relative freedom, you know, for the case mm -hmm. getting all this attention. And, and, and uh, so... So you have a, I mean, you have a history with your uncle with the, the culture, folk music culture and... and the power of that song to affect that kind of change. Is that mm. something that you, um, 
obviously respect, but uh, would you would you engage in in that kind of creativity to to affect my God. change? Um, my uncle Ron Hines uh, authored in in September of 1976. He authored a song. Um, he was. 26, 27, uh, 26 years old, called Sonny's Dream, that that he didn't know what he had. He wrote it in 10 minutes, sat on it for about two years, worked it into a band that he had called the Wonderful Grand Band, and uh, it became this instant f folk rock hit at the time. And uh, it that song sustained, that song built his career and allowed him to go out and be a songwriter, you know, and it moved across the water and it got covered in Japan and all over Ireland. It was, it was recorded by over 150 artists and, and moved beyond him so that, you know, he heard a version by Christy Moore that had a whole other verse in the end, a different narrative ending. And it's considered a folk song in Ireland. And nobody, nobody knew at the time that the original writer had written it and mm -hmm. who was still alive oh, wow. Beca because it's, is highly unusual for a song to achieve folk status during the lifetime of the author. Uh, and he just got that song as easily as if he, as he didn't, hadn't got that song. And it was a universal appeal to it. So, and it, would I want one of those songs? My God, yes. Like <laughs> something, there's something much more integral about the folk song in particular as opposed to the rock song or the 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 personal type of pop song or anything like that you know the folk and, song is for the people and a folk song is not necessarily a protest song not necessarily no and bob dylan i think he said uh he actually didn't consider himself a, a protest singer no he didn't and He's uh not protesting. then you but you have songs like the hurricane you have songs like times are changing and and how can they, they not they be a speak protest to so song? many yeah. They speak to so many people. It's just, I guess, what came from his from his heart. Yeah, I guess he never quite did like anybody trying to tell him what he stood for after the fact. Right. He never did explain anything about Hurricane. Uh, it is an extraordinary piece of writing mm -hmm. um, that definitely exacted change. Very, very powerful song. Uh, so I selected uh, movies that were in entwined with music or, or one based on a song the other based on a movie or story but now is hurricane based on the actual reuben hurricane carter story <laughs> you know i don't think it would have got i i think that dylan song was that powerful yeah that, yeah and in, and as you were saying earlier it's uh milking the story yeah um t speaking of music i think it'd be a good time for joel to play a song well, I think we got to get that set up. I would like to yep, fix, get, get, right get one thing uh, that I was thinking about for a while now. Um, so your uncle and dad were brothers. And uh, did they have the same sort of his uh, conflicts or, or uh, no? Nope. No. So they were able to. I, you know, if you want to dig in, lean in, have a good poke around, good look around, everybody has their form of self-medicating in their life. So, yeah. yes, definitely everybody's got the, the devils. But... Uh, uh, my uncle was a, he, he was a very, very charismatic, larger than life character. Yeah. And, uh, he, there's no way around it for, for what he did. Uh, he's, 
been noted as a genius, right? So right. Uh, that came with its burdens. Uh, it, yeah, what I meant was this, their relationship, his relationship with your dad, is it similar to the relationship you have with your brother? Because it seems like uh, your uncle, as an artist, wasn't necessarily recognized for his talents either. No, he, he, he was a black sheep. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he was, nobody really, you know, in his family or his hometown or what, nobody knew how to take him. Uh, nobody knew how to approach or how to appreciate. I was with a couple of his brothers when I was cleaning out his house and I found an original handwritten lyric sheet for a song of his that became quite a popular folk song called No Kathleen. And it had all the changes and the early progressions and it was written in a different key and it had alternative lyrics and stuff. And I handed it to one of his uncles, his one of his brothers, my uncle, but uh, much younger than Ron. I said, look at this. You should take that and frame it. And he just kind of looked at it and said, what, 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 and put it, what do you mean frame it? Put it where? Put it on the wall. I said, yeah, man. I said, well, it's a really, don't you think it's a good window into the creative brain of your brother? It's like some people just don't have appreciation for that sort of thing. And rightfully so. I often question why uh, anybody makes a big deal out of artists at all why they're pulled aside to be interviewed or written about or spoken about or why they have audiences or anything. I, I, sometimes I don't get it. Why doesn't the business owner in the same way? They, they do in business magazines. Yeah, I guess so. You know, I mean, the reason why that we pull aside artists is because uh, quite often they've been segregated from everybody else. I guess so, yeah. So that's why we do it. Uh, and let's um, <laughs> let's hear you play a song for us. should have seen me way back then I could tell a tale I could make it spin I could tell you black was white I could tell you day was night not only that I could tell you why yeah back then I could really tell a lie Well, I'd hire a kid to say that he was lame. Then I'd touch him, make him walk again. Oh, I'd pull some magic trick. I'd pretend to heal the sick. I was taking everything they had to give. Wasn't all that bad a way to live. Well, I'm in this desert town, it's hot as hell But no one's buying what I got to sell I make my lame kid walk I make a dumb guy talk I'm preaching up a storm both night and day 
everyone just turns and walks away. Well, I can see that I'm only wasting time. So I head across the road to drink some wine. And this old man comes up to me. He says, I seen you on the street. You're pretty good if I do say so myself. Ah, but the guy come through last month, he was something else. Instead of calling down fire from above, well, he just get real quiet and talk about love. When I tell you something funny, he didn't want nobody's money. I'm not exactly sure what this all means, but it's the damnedest thing I swear I've ever seen. Well, since that time, every town's the same. I can't make a dime. I don't know why I came. I decide I'll go and find him and find out who's behind him. He's got everyone convinced that he's for real. I figure we can work us out a deal. Well, he offers me a job. I say fine. He says I'll get paid off on down the line. I suppose I'll string along. Can't see how too much can go wrong. As long as he pays my way, I guess I'll follow. We're headed for Jerusalem tomorrow. The new album, uh, Dead Man's Melody, which is launching at the Dakota next Saturday night, the 19th, the Dakota Tavern on Ossington Avenue. Uh, full band, full studio band, and an opening uh, kind of a stomp punk band from Newfoundland called The Sauce. Uh, it's called Dead Man's Melody, the new album is, and it, it sort of organically became a concept album in studio during the writing i thought i was going in i wanted a rock and roll album but i thought i was going in i figured i'd end up with some kind of weird folk album but i there's a degree of removal from all the songs for for the singer me and the writer me um and they all became story songs and then through the arrangements i mashed it all together so that 
it follows the progression of this uh, downward spiral with this this couple. And, uh, you know, it all ends up in a big hail of bullets and a SWAT team standoff outside of with choppers in the air and all this little stuff. So it's a fa fairly theatrical album, too. And uh, the sort of centerpiece, one a centerpiece of the album, narratively, is called Dead Man's Hat. Uh, and something strange happened when I was clearing out my Uncle Ron's um, stuff after he died. A year later, I went and did this. I finally had to. And I got one of his hats. And uh, I hadn't been writing for a long time. I was writing other things. And generally, when I'm writing other things, I can't write songs. I put on this hat of his, and I wrote three songs. It was like the songs were just waiting in the hat or something. Boom. They sprinkled down. This is one of the one of the um, songs that I wrote then. It's called Dead Man's Hat. And I initially started writing it um, about him and about being back in St. John's without him and, and feeling his shadow and everything. And, and then as I started thinking about it and writing more and more about it, um, it wasn't. It certainly wasn't in keeping with his approach to songwriting, and I I knew there was a story in there that wasn't about me, uh, and it became. I I sort of unlocked this murder story that became the centerpiece to the album. This is called Dead Man's Hat. Let me see. Can I get it? Let's see if I remember it. <laughs> a lot of build up for something I can't remember. <laughs> Oh, me and my baby trying to keep it clean Everything about it was a bad, bad dream I'm a-wreathing and a-moaning like an old tomcat I'm walking around in a dead man's hat Bearing down on me Walking around in a dead man's suit In a dead man's jacket And a dead man's boots All caught up in this dead man's melody Now baby's on the corner Holding it tight Flashing it about like a beacon light Never Right back at me You know she rolled her eyes And laughed right 
Was, uh, that was amazing. I, I, I'm, I'm really uh, thrilled Joe, that we had uh, a chance to get uh, Joe Thomas Hine on the show, and, as well as to perform um, the two songs for us from his album. You know what, uh, uh, Lewis? Yes, Tom. We have uh, two giveaways uh, from Joel. Great. That, that I think uh, I think maybe we'll do on the um, on uh, uh, you know people can sort of write in, and we have an album. We have the album. Uh, Dead Man's Hat. Oh, sorry, Dead Man's Melody. Yeah. And uh, we also have his book, this Governor General's Award-winning book, uh, Well, uh, We'll All Be Burnt in Our Beds Some Night. And I know, because it's a book, no beds were actually burnt. If it was a movie, right, then it yeah, it would have been different. We've <laughs> learned that, yes. Uh, so I think we should get, give them as, as a set okay. on air. Sounds so, good. So uh, is there a question or something that people have to answer first? And there, you can think of something. You're usually really good at this. Well, um, I think, um, you know, Tom, if you're going to put me on the spot like that, let's <laughs> say uh, the uh, what was it? See, I'm not really putting you on the spot. You do this really well. Well, now, I, now I'm now i not sure I'm, I'm going to, you know, here, keep on going and I'm going to think of something. Okay. What's something that was said during the interview? Like... No, no, I mean, like, just continue on with your... Oh, oh, just, <laughs> we don't need to, we don't need oh, to oh, talk all right. this out. Oh, so yeah, I don't yeah, have yeah. to feed you. Like, yeah, you'll yeah. come up with something. Yeah. Okay, well, there's not a whole lot to say other than... Well, you could go on iTunes and, oh, yeah. and listen to um, track number six on the album. And oh, yeah. Because there are a lot of literary allusions. I drew heavily from literature for this album, right? Right. And track number six has a very direct quote from a famous novel. I mean, Google can you know google kind of ruins it for everybody mm. but uh 
you can find see how, see if you can find you know the literary illusion from number six and tell me where it's from. That's right. exactly what I was going to yeah, say. Yeah, see, <laughs> I knew you guys were on the same. Yeah, I right. think that's perfect. But see, do you see how many? Uh, it also uh, means check you marks? have to go get my album on yeah. iTunes. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> we checkmarked the album. We checkmarked the, the mm-hmm. entire interview. Excellent. Great. And so, then any other um, any other things we want to talk about? Uh, just plug before we well, sign off. Well, I'm very happy to plug my uh, upcoming. Uh, Toronto album launch at the Dakota Tavern from seven o'clock to nine on the nineteenth of May. Great full band, great opening act from Newfoundland. Two thousand eighteen. Twenty eighteen, man. Yeah, because you never know when people. Two are, weeks yeah. time. Well, yeah. next week. Yeah, yeah. great. Okay. okay, excellent. And uh, uh, Lewis, yes, you have anything to say? Yeah, so you can uh, find us on uh, Facebook dot com slash this movie pod or on Twitter at this movie pod. Uh, as well, uh, Tom, you can find on Twitter at Tom, the, uh, sorry, at Real Tom Ernst. That's R E E L T H O M, and then Ernst as in Max Ernst. Yeah, the artist. Yeah, a lot of people know who he is. And uh, you can find me too, man. I don't know. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah we'll we put, find you? No, no. You we'll, find me under my name online. That's right. And we're gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna put a link to uh, to your uh, website and your uh, Twitter. Hey, feed. thanks, man. Yeah. Put a link to his album too, because they're gonna need that for track six. Right. Yeah. Oh, and do you have anything you want to say? I do. Talk? I'd like to say something. Oh, and like thank you so it. much, Joel. That was a uh, fantastic. Hey, thanks for having me. I yeah. appreciate yeah. it. Uh, and uh, remember, uh, everyone, uh, one good movie deserves another. And you